happy Friday, June 30th, 2023. This is another episode of Memo by Guy Illegal. My name is Jackie. And today we are in the final todays of um, talking about education. How are we nurturing our children? This is cancer season. Cancer, generally speaking, is about home, family, children, maternal, ancestry, um, the environment in which we live, silver, not gold, the moon, not the sun. That or That is generally speaking cancer. And um, <laughs> right now I feel really fidgety. So I will just be, um, I have this, um, I don't know, just helps me calm down for whatever reason. Um, and as I was saying um, today, public school pros, cons, legal case studies, and probably most people listening, you were a public school child. Uh, and then we will go over on Monday, just transition to the final topic, which is special needs students in the public school, a special topic on that. My sister, she is a special needs student, special needs individual. Uh, she also you know, participates in a lot of activities, special Olympics. Pennsylvania has really great support for children with special needs. Um, other states do not necessarily have similar support. So I will cover that on Monday. And then for cancer two, I planned that out this morning, actually. Let me pull out. <laughs> so it's like so weird because during different seasons, different months, like sometimes I will be on the hard copy planner. Uh, I still have kind of my standard like schedule always in the Google calendar, but when like things start getting out of control, I know I have to bring it back to like paper and ground myself in paper because it like slows everything down. And then I can ramp up back to like putting to-do lists and technology. But for myself, I find that if I exclusively use technology, like my life actually starts getting out of control. Like I really need to slow down and ground on paper. Anyway, so next week, Cancer 2 special needs. So starting out with guardianship, conservator, um, naming guardians, just some stories on Tuesday as to why huh, you should probably just get this done. It's very simple. Um, I practice in the state of Texas. It's a statutory form, meaning that this, the form is literally described in the Texas Estates Code. Just put it on a document, print it out, uh, sign, notarize, witnessed, so on and so forth. Make sure everybody has copies. So if and when the time comes, we don't have to go to the court to obtain a guardianship in a very already stressful time. So that is or going to be on Tuesday the 4th and the 5th, how to name guardians. So actually walking through the physical process. So Tuesday, I'll just describe it with stories, more mindset building. And then Wednesday, the actual nitty gritty how to showing people how to access in their own state because the, sorry, it's a motorcycle out there, the, the um, probate law, guardianship law, these are all issues of people in their particular state. State government governs it, even though, there's like huge similarities between most states. And then Thursday the 6th, talking about estate planning considerations for individuals with special needs. A lot of times individuals with special needs, they have benefits from the government. We have a lot of resources and programs that we don't want to lose because their income, if they receive an inheritance, their income will be affected and they can lose certain benefits. So we don't want to make, we want to make sure we avoid that. And we have certain special needs trust in place. So that will be those days. And then, uh, yeah, I have all my special needs books out here. I've been kind of like thinking about different content and such for that. And then I also brainstorm Cancer 3 
Cancer three. <sighs> Sorry, I like brainstormed this morning, but I actually forgot what I wrote. Oh, ancestry. And I have those books there too. So what type of ancestor do we want to be? And then for a Leo season, because cancer is like the maternal, the environment, Leo ruled by the sun, the action. So thinking about, I was thinking about like the sun and photosynthesis, so regenerative business and going back to business topics, but from like the B Corp again, um, more details about that more episodes, more examples on B corporations, giving specific case studies of specific, like more inspirational. What are some ideas of how we can uh, create spiritual communities, education communities, collaboratives, cooperatives for the new earth, the new earth, the new world, which could be just an evolved earth, a different earth, an earth that's in alignment with the current astrological cycles, whatever, whatever. And then Virgo, you know, Virgo eight, nine, 10 of coins, pentacles, generational wealth passing on so that is a lot of that's like classic estate planning financials because we're back into the pentacles i saw a um i've been looking for a bookkeeper that's not just on quickbooks and i found this girl and i have not signed up with her yet but she has really great content because she's a bookkeeper but she's also into the woo woo astrology tarot all of those things as well but she knows her numbers and she knows that aspect and she connected it to the root chakra, especially for those of us who grew up in communities where money was an issue. Um, how does money define our safety and security in terms of like the root chakra? And she's actually having an event that I'm going to sign up for. I have it on my list of things to do today. I'm going to sign up for that and then work through that as well. Okay, so that's the lay of the land for summer and then for the fall Libra uh, Libra I already have planned for that and kind of going what I, I wrote about in the book but um, Libra is the scales <laughs> so that's a very legal legal season um, it's harvest time if we take like you know the northern hemisphere cycles I understand that astrology is based on the aspects of the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that. However, I think like where I grew up in Pennsylvania, the actual seasons track that very, uh, very well in a very like real earthy, tangible way. So that's how I relate to it. Um, and Libra, all about negotiation, harvesting. I already have like ideas, you know, pulling in materials from Harvard negotiation school, um, Harvard university. They have a lot of good resources on that sort of thing. And then Scorpio season, we're like tracking to the end of the year. Scorpio season is, you know, we have Halloween and Ancestry again. Those are, it's a, it's a good time of the year to talk about transitions because we're open to that because the world is in transition in that year, in that time of year. So talking about transitions, estate planning, wills, trust, those type of topics again things I haven't covered. And then I think like, because I covered all the basics, once we wrap around to them, we can be a little bit more creative and a little bit more current with those topics. And then after Scorpio, we have Sagittarius and Capricorn, which is 2024. But Sagittarius is all about liberation, freedom. And I haven't thought that far yet. <laughs> so we're up to Scorpio for right now. Okay, now that I gave you the preview for the last seven minutes, education, pros, cons, and legal and case studies. So diving into the pros and cons, many of us are public school educated. So the pros of public education is that there's a whole bunch of historical knowledge. 
A lot of some of the best, best educators come from the public school because they have had to teach in very, very difficult, high stakes situations. Some of the best things that we have from educational research come from the public school system because you have a huge sample size. You have a huge array of ability, disability, all those things, not disability, but different types of abilities in different types of ways. So um, it's a great it's a great ground to learn how to teach, especially when you have to teach in difficult situations. Public school, pro-con, not just state and observation. Public school is mostly determined by the community, your zip code in which you live. There could be a public school out there, and I've taught in, in you know one of the top public schools in Texas. And that public school, people regularly go to the Ivy Leagues. That public school is likely offering education at a much higher level than a lot of its private school counterparts. And in a community in Texas, Katy, Texas, which is like Friday Night Lights, in Katy, Texas, when community is really important, knowing people in the community being recognized in the public school is actually of worth to your kind of like social value and to negotiating in society. I have always said, like, if I were to live back in Katy, Texas, I would likely send my kids to public school because it would be worth it in that sense. And private school, I don't know, unless there's some exceptional ability, we need some language ability and so on and so forth. The private school is just not convincing in that regard. And I've seen the fruits of people who have gone to private school in Houston. And it's just when I talked yesterday about like insulating themselves and not being part of the general public and then kind of the issues that brings, it's very uh, recognizable there because it's like two different worlds. And when you live in Katy, Texas, like it's a very community oriented, more rural, even though we're outside of Houston, it's, it's a more rural, rural community. And it has kind of that rural, small town feel, even though it's right outside of Houston. So there's that. And pros, cons. Um, okay, yeah. So the con, the con, I was saying like the quality varies, but you also have the historical knowledge. Pro is that because this is a public entity, it's a state-sponsored entity, you are able to bring constitutional claims like individual rights, 14th Amendment due process, substantive due process, procedural due process, substantive due process and procedural due process. Those are, you know, your, your civil rights cases. Procedural due process is you have a, a right to have a notice and an opportunity to be heard. So if you're in the public school system, there are a lot of internal processes and administrative processes with the Department of Education, both at the state level and the federal level, that offer you consistency and protections when something goes awry. You can bring a First Amendment claim against a uh, public school because they are operating under uh, state, federal or state funds. So you have those protections. Sometimes those protections can be full of red tape, and that could be a pro-con depending on your need. And public schools, teachers are certified, but sometimes the level of certification, it's easy to get the certification. So because there's such a need of teachers in the public school, they may just like show up and get the check and not be necessarily invested in the education of the students. But then again, it like really depends on your zip code. Public schools also, in some areas, have wonderful special education programs, much better than you would find in a private school system because of the depth, historical depth, 
and the range of experience that they're um, with the with the children and the teachers they pass on the knowledge over the years. There are some states that are better at special special education than others. So this you know this is a pro con kind of depends on your situation. But if you live in an area with a special needs student and you're able to use that public school, great. Like in Katy, Texas, a lot of people with autism move to Katy, Texas because they are recognized for their special needs education and they're familiar with the processes. They honor the IEP process. They take it very seriously. However, the IEP process, having an individualized education plan, which uh, is a legally binding document, that process may look different in different school districts depending on their resources, financial resources and organizational resources. A lot of times the public school education depends on the type of people in the building. And if it, it's kind of like, how am I going to say, what's the, what's the word I'm going to say? I forget. I'm trying to find the phrase, it like escaped me, but um, you're perpetuating broken cycles. <laughs> I don't know why that's coming up. You're perpetuating broken cycles when you get like the same sort of people in the system. And I remember seeing a documentary where it's like you had the lemons, like when you have a underperforming school district by underperforming you know, the basic benchmark is standardized tests. When you have that type of school district, they just move like they don't have enough teachers. So they just move teachers around just to have a spot. And yeah, so public school education, Mark Twain said, out of, out of the public school comes the greatness of a nation. And public school is ultimately, ultimately the collective's way to address issues that arose from homeschooling. Because at the beginning, everybody was here, came to America, they homeschooled, they realized, oh, like, let's delegate, <laughs> depending on specialty, let's delegate, let's create our own schools and the public school system was eventually formed. Some people don't like what's happening in the public schools, so they go back to private school or they go back to homeschool. But in theory, the public school should theoretically service everybody's needs. They have gifted education, they have education for those um, students who need more time and support. With academics, they have a range of extracurriculars, music, art, uh, and so on and so forth. So here's a pro-con of public education. Oftentimes, teachers are teaching to the middle. They're teaching to, or the low, depends, the lowest common denominator or the C-level student, which means students, if you think about students in a bell curve, which is how students generally fall, when you have students at either end, it's usually it's usually not the special needs students because they have their own like focus and support. It's usually the gifted students in public ed education that quote get left behind because there's not necessarily the resource to service their individual needs. But again, it depends on the school district. I was fortunate to be in a school district where they really focused on gifted students and at least gave them independent study. But there are school districts where you can do kind of like a community college thing or go to college instead of going to the high school. But because, like I said yesterday, in the private school situation, the counseling support, career support services are usually more robust in the public school system because there's so many kids, they can't necessarily focus on you as much like one on one in terms of the counselor. So the public school does require more parent involvement, whereas the private school you are delegating your parent involvement more to the school support system, especially in the case of like, well, I didn't even cover this yesterday, but in the case of boarding schools, right? You have boarding schools where the student like actually lives at school and you really delegated the parental aspect of it to the education um, entity.
in the public school, parents have to be involved. And the good, bad news, whatever the news is, is that there are systems in place, right? You have school board meetings, which are public. You can attend the school board meetings. You can make um, make a statement at school board meetings. There are rules that govern them. By law, the school board meetings have to be held. They have to be announced. There's documentation because these are public entities. Okay, the not so good news or like the other news is, is that a lot of times parents do not get involved either with the teacher, with the school board, um, with the internal processes and so on and so forth. So I see like there's a disconnect there. Like a lot of times parents would rather complain or like vent on Facebook than actually take action in the public school system, maybe because those paths are not as well worn. And I think that that's probably, responsibility probably falls on the school to educate Okay, this is how the school system works. This is how you file a grievance. This is, these are the processes. If and when you have an issue with the teacher, go to the teacher first, then go to the coach, then go to the administrator, then go to you know, school board and so on and so forth. The whole way up the chain, the administrative agency, state, federal, whatever, court filing, whatever, uh, so that parents can clearly see uh, the steps. For um, now, just focusing in on... I say case studies, but I think, yeah, I think most of us went to public school. So I, instead of doing case studies, I think these will be more of like, what to do when you have an issue in the public school um, with a, with a teacher, like something's happening with your child. Obviously, like the first thing you want to do is document, 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 and go to the teacher first. If you go to the teacher, um, these are the things you should look for. A lot of issues stem at the teacher level. Uh, and this is coming from someone who coached teachers. So I know like <laughs> a lot of these issues start with the teacher. So the first thing that the teacher should do before the semester begins, they should have a clear list of assignments and assessments. And ideally those assessments and assi assignments should already be in the gradebook so you can see the scope and sequence of the semester so you know when all the assessments are. I think that's like failure. I don't want to say failure, but it's like step number one where problems begin. We don't know when the tests and assignments are, so then that starts the grading process. The grading process in the public school, it varies. There, and this is where you go to the quality issue, right? It varies. There are organizations who are trying to standardize certain aspects of education for teacher quality, for assessment, and so on and so forth, because we have this body of educational research that knows, like, generally speaking, these are the things that work. But teachers are not necessarily trained in how to create an assessment. So that's why the school districts who have, you know, wide curriculum teams and have great internal processes, they're able to have really high quality assessment, whereas another district who doesn't have that the assessment will be different and everything starts with the assessment because from the assessment, the test, you can see like the students where they're doing well, where they're struggling, you can pull statistical data and you can adjust the instruction that way. But yeah, I mean, you see this on the news. Many teachers are resistant because this is not how it's taught in teacher education preparation programs and so on and so forth. So it's a big, it's just a issue. And I think like Teach for America, part of their reason for being is to address those issues in education by placing people who did not go to school to major in education, placing them in these schools, teaching them these ways so that it like permeates education. And I guess, you know, here I am <laughs> 14 years later talking about it as an attorney. 
So I guess in that sense, their their vision mission is realized in my podcast episodes. Uh, yeah. So as I was saying, assessment. Oh, my screen is off. Let me turn it back on. So having having assessment um, is important, and the teacher doesn't have that. Doesn't have the assignments. If the teacher is just like on the fly, developing things as they go, that's step number one. Uh, parents should be questioning that with the teacher and then with the principal. But here's like the the tricky part is because sometimes the teachers and principals don't even know that they're supposed to be doing that, especially in a school that does not have uh, that sort of education, that sort of knowledge where it's more relational, where it's more political, where it's more like who knows who knows who versus like focused on the academics. But the good news is, is that there are procedures for the parents to, you know, go to the news, go to the school board, raise awareness in the community. But that's why the public school system requires a lot more parental involvement. And the fact that the matter is, as someone who worked in both rural, urban, suburban, and all sorts of public schools, parental involvement is very low. Um, probably everybody involved could do something better. And it's just very low. And it shows up in the students. But then people start like blaming everybody else when it's like, here are the processes. So I don't know. So that's that. Um, teachers, generally speaking, at least what I advise my public school teachers was to send a parent update once a week. You should have an electronic system, send the parent update, have all the assignments, just internal classroom procedures like makeup work, all of these things. It's like running a business. I always said like teaching in the classroom is like having a mini MBA because you're basically establishing like a microcosm of society in your classroom and your business is student achievement, taking a student from point A to point B. You have a set, excuse me, a set of objectives, your measurement, your KPIs, your data is your student achievement scores, both quantitatively, but also like changes in mindset over time. Like in math class, I spoke about this in a previous episode, but in math class, changing the mindsets from a victim mentality, a non-growth mindset. I can't do this. I'm bad at math. Oh, like the world is happening to me versus transforming that over the course of six, 12 however, 24 weeks into a growth mindset. Oh, I can do this. I can try. I can practice. I'll make mistakes. Mistakes are a way for me to learn and grow and evolve. And that was always like such an important part to me in the math classroom. And many math teachers feel similarly. So other case studies, you know, I think like the case studies are hard because it just varies. I think if I had to pull two case studies, it's like the kids on the out, the outer ends. So the ones with special needs, quote, disabilities, incapacities, according to law, how are they being serviced? It varies. And then the kids on the upper end, how are they being serviced? It varies. Ultimately, it comes down to parental involvement, counselor involvement. How are you advocating for the student? And then how are you knowing how to advocate for the student? And I think that in this scenario, especially when you have issues there's not that many education attorneys out there. And the ones that are education attorneys, they work mostly with special needs because there's actually causes of action litigation wise for children with special needs like the child fine. And these are things I can cover in, in future episodes. Like teachers have a responsibility. Administrators have a responsibility to identify students with special needs. So like if they feel like uh, or think or observe that a student has like ADHD or autism or would qualify for an individualized education plan, they don't just wait for the t uh, for the parent to say something. They have a responsibility to like 
identify that student and make the communication with the parent. And if they fail to do those things, sometimes there can be causes of action attached to that. Um, and yeah, so as I was saying, like there's a lot, there's not that many education attorneys. And I think that just having some sort of primer, maybe I'll do this in future episodes, just having some sort of a primer, like, or examples of when you have an issue with the teacher, like here's how you can draft an email. Here's like the meeting agenda. Make sure you document everything because you want to create a paper trail uh, from day one. And then, you know, what are the things to look for during open house? Like a lot of parents don't even attend open house. And when they do attend open house, they just think, okay, like I'm there to meet the teacher. But I do think it falls on the teachers and the administrators to kind of go through you know, here are the things you should look for. And I was very fortunate to work again in like one of the best public schools in Texas. Worked at Seven Lakes High School as a math teacher in Katy, Texas. I think it's ranked in the top 10, if not top 20 in Texas, 4,000 students in that school and the administration. But this is like the historical knowledge of the community, right? Like every um, teacher was required to have a PowerPoint on open house night. There's a template for the PowerPoint these are the things you're speaking about, but these are the things that come from like parents, administrators down. In Katy, Texas, the parents are highly, highly involved in the school system. I mean, <laughs> no offense, everybody, but like Katy, Texas, it was like median household income, $250,000. You have a lot of, sorry, I'm gonna say it's, it's, a, it's a reference that people are going to understand. It's a lot of Karens. There's a lot of Karens in Katy, Texas. So they are very involved in the students' education. I don't say that in a derogatory way. I just say that in the sense that there are a lot of stay-at-home moms or moms with small businesses who have substantial time to invest in their children's education. And they are on top of the school teachers, administrators, through the Facebook groups, through apps and all these things. Like it is, I don't know, it's very well connected. And just, I've worked in many school districts, even in the school district I grew up in, it's just not like that, right? It's just not like that. So it depends on the parents. And sometimes we have to go to other villages, other neighboring communities to get best practices, to get ideas for how to address issues in our own community instead of just blaming each other. So that's all I have on the public education system and just stopping right there when we think about education for the future, like just my, you know, my two says, I, I, you have to do what you feel like is right for your situation in the present moment. I hope that these episodes this week kind of gave some contours, some context for things to look out for, um, things to consider when you are making that choice. I think about like factors. So in the law, a lot of times we have like balancing tests where you have a list of like 10, 15, 20 factors, and it's like a checklist. So you consider those factors and you artfully mix them together to arrive at a, a blend them together to arrive at a conclusion. I, that was my intention for this week. And I hope it served as that for the most part. And um, there are a lot of things to consider for my own children when I mix those factors together. As I said, if I lived in Katy, Texas, I would probably send them to the public school because of the community aspect, because it's just, you just want to be part of that. And when you go to private school, um, it's just different. It's just different. The kids I knew who transferred from public school, Katy, Texas to private school, they had an exceptional ability in some area, either athletics or academics or music. They had an exceptional, not, and I want to say like not Hollywood exceptional, but some sort of 
ability that they wanted to nurture that was extracurricular that would not have been met in the public school system. So they needed a little bit more um, parental involvement in the extracurriculars and not so much in the academics. And they would delegate the academics to the private school. So it just depends on your student. It just depends on the blend. As of right now, I believe that both of my, my children are both enrolled in private school and they will likely continue in that way moving forward just because of the area in which I live. And that's not like a dig anybody who lives here. It's just the mindsets are just different. The values are different and the values are reflected in the public school education and curriculum. And my children have two parents <laughs> that grew up in the city and who have many associates that went to Ivy League schools and are circles of friends and so on and so forth. It's just, that is what it is. Do I wish it was like that? No, I wish that they could get the stimulation that they, their mind, body, extracurriculars, the safety that they need in the public school, but that's just not the reality in the location in which I live. And that pains my heart because I wish it was a reality. And part of me is like, oh, let's like change the public school system from the inside out. But that takes, that takes a grassroots approach from, I think, in my personal opinion, it begins with the mindsets of the people. It begins with the spiritual institutions, which here the church is very influential there are a lot of families. It can be very clannish here where you live in a rural area. So it begins in the church and the leadership of the community. And then it spills over to the school. And I do think even though we have separation of church and state, something in Katy, Texas, like, yes, separation of church and state, but the church and the school was very well connected in terms of like they would root for each other. Like during Sundays, they would have all the school colors held up in church is very, okay, let's take care of the spiritual education and then the, uh, the school take care of the academics. You know, separation, but collaboration. In, in the area in which I live, there's separation and separation. So I think that's the difference. And maybe that's why I'm here to bring some of, some of Texas over here, because I think that the, the results show um, and yeah, and maybe it's just Southern culture and here I live up, live up in the North. It's just, it's just different, but I love Southern culture. I love the community aspect of it. I think, you know, there's cons to it too, but I don't know. We will see. So that's all I have for today. Um, happy Friday. Have a wonderful weekend and I'll see you next week. Bye.